Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and a special welcome to this episode. This is episode number 250. I can't believe it. Yeah, number 250. And I think that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, when you look at all the other podcasts that are out there, and there are so many with just two or four episodes, some maybe have 10 or 20 or 25, and then they quit. Few make it to 100. But here we sit at 250 episodes, all hosted and produced and edited and engineered and uh, guessed and um, produced <laughs> everything and written by a staff of one, me. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's been quite the, uh, quite the ride. And I remember when uh, Joseph Peters was actually one of the inspirations of the show because he was the uh, producer, one of the producers in, this, in the uh, morning show that I'm working on, right? And so he said, we, as part of scripts, they have these, uh, or had these things, we had to, these, these certain goals we had to do every year, right? Just to expand what you were doing in your job to uh, maybe enhance uh, your, your work-life balance, I guess, or something. I don't know. Anyway, you're supposed to do all these goals and do extra things. Well, one of his ideas was to do a po- podcast with me. And so that's how it started, and, and he uh, that was pretty much his contribution where he, he said that, and then I, I came up and I did just about 95% of all the other work uh, on this show, and I continue to do it now by myself since he uh, he left the morning show and went to do uh, producing for the afternoon shows, and then he left the uh, Denver 7 shows and now is working for the Scripps national team, and so I, I, I rarely ever see or talk to Joseph anymore, so... Uh, but that was an update if you were wondering what whatever happened to Joseph. Anyway, that, that was, that's what happened 250 episodes ago. Uh, I think it's been five, a little over five years, almost six years or something like that. Um, and have there been times I've wanted to quit and call it good? Yep, sure are. Uh, was it as recent as this episode? Yep, sure was. <laughs> well, I ignore those feelings and, and just push them down with the rest of my overworked feelings? Yep, sure will. <laughs> I will for now. I think a lot of people have that same feeling as I do. Well, anyway, so we we push forward and upward and onward toward episode 300. Will we make it there? I don't know. But <laughs> I, I appreciate everybody who's been listening and checking in with the show. And, and uh, there has been a lot of good feedback for it So and, and, and the interviews. And we have a great interview for us today. Uh, and by the way, if you would ever want to be on the show or, or have a question, comment, concern, anything like that, uh, the listener hotline is 303-832-0217. And today I'm going to spend the show talking about rideshare, specifically one new way to rideshare. Look, we've we've all heard of, of the rideshare companies Lyft and Uber, right? Well, imagine trying to start another rideshare business in this climate, and that's exactly what Will Coleman is doing. Now, Will uh, started the rideshare company called Alto in Dallas, it's expanded now to other cities across the country, and Alto is a bit different, and it has a different model than Uber and Lyft. So I really want to know more about this journey that Will has been on, about his business, and what makes Alto different from Uber and Lyft for you and me, and, and what it's like to have this business and and try to make it grow. 
uh, right now in these uh, troubled times, if you will. So I invited Will Coleman to be here on the show. Will, thanks so much for being here on the World Famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Really excited to talk to you about it. All right, so we'll talk about Alto and how it works and how it's different in just a minute. But first, let's get to know you a bit. Let's get to know Will. What is your background and what made you interested in this? Yeah, well, I've always been a little bit of a travel nerd, I guess you could say. Um, and pretty uniquely in that space, I, I've always really liked the journey almost as much as the destination. Uh, and I've always been fascinated by uh, the kind of complexity operationally of the travel world. Um, I spent 11 years of my career in consulting uh, where I helped some of the wor world's largest travel companies, airlines, hotels, car rental firms, um, improve their operations and uh, improve their customer experience and really dig into the, um, the consumer travel space as, as both a consumer, a user, uh, as well as, um, you know, from the business's perspective. And the last probably five or six years that I was in consulting, um, I found that I was spending a lot of my time helping my clients understand the disruption that was happening as Uber and Lyft became bigger and bigger, both here in the United States and for Uber around the world. Um, the impacts that it was having was was pretty far reaching, not only on consumers and, and, you know, frankly, the ease and ability for people to get around, but also on everything from airports making decisions about design choices around parking spaces versus extra drop off lanes to uh, car rental firms deciding how they should partner with or invest in or compete against um, these companies. And so um, as a as a big travel nerd and somebody that's always been really fascinated by these things. Um, I developed a kind of, I would say, unique and, and in some ways maybe contrarian perspective on the space, one that uh, was really based in the fact that I thought there were still a lot of challenges and opportunities to be solved and that um, somebody needed to go disrupt the disruptors. And so I felt uh, uniquely positioned to be able to go do that. So was there a spark then as you're doing this consulting work and people are asking you uh, about your comments about how to how to deal with all this stuff? And was there a spark in your head that said, I have to come up with this idea. I just came up with this great idea. And now this is where I have to go with my life. Well, you know, uh, people often ask me, where where did you come up with the idea for Alto? Which I always think is kind of a funny articulation of the question. Um, as <laughs> where? Well, I mean... I, uh, the honest answer to that is is kind of in the back of an Uber, <laughs> um, uh, because you know I, I really was spending uh, as a as a traveler myself for work and and for my clients I was I was spending really months of my life in the back of cars um, on my way to and from airports hotels uh, and I and as a consumer I I kept finding myself. Um, dissatisfied with the product as they as these companies got bigger and more ubiquitous i say or easier to use more convenient some people would say in more cities and larger footprints i also found that they became significantly less consistent um, and for me as a professional traveler that consistency was a real challenge i wanted to know what i was going to get i was willing to pay a bit more but i wanted to know the quality of driver the quality of car that i was going to have i wanted to be able to take a conference call without having EDM playing in the background. I wanted to be able to not go into a meeting without smelling like a pack of cigarettes or something worse. And, um, 
And so, you know, I felt like there had to be a better way for me as a consumer. And then I also spent a ton of time talking to drivers um, in, in these rides and understanding their needs and preferences. And it became clear to me that they were also looking for something better. And then I, uh, you know, was understanding from the outside in the, the performance of these companies, the, their path to profitability and long-term legit longevity and sustainability as companies for their for themselves and for their investors. And I ultimately felt like there had to be a better way for, for investors, for, uh, for the companies themselves to become sustainable and, and to work. Um, and finally, I, I, I felt like there had to be a better way for our cities that didn't create as much congestion and vehicle miles traveled and emissions as, these, uh, as it's been proven that rideshare does. And so those four factors of a consumer, a driver, an investor, and, a, and kind of a regulator or a city, a community, I, I just, I continue to come back to there must be a better way. Um, and I kind of put all that together and said the better way is, is to create something more consistent, safer, and, uh, and more hospitable for drivers, for passengers, for cities more sustainable for cities and investors. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where I decided, you know, uh, I don't know why I decided that I was the right person to do that. <laughs> Probably because I've also got a sense of you know, a little just craziness. Um, and, and uh, yeah, that's, it was in the back of a car in, in those moments, kind of just continuously coming back to there has to be a better way. You mentioned consistent, that word a couple of times, and it's an interesting word because typically, I think as as you probably can tell from your consulting days, typically in a business, as it gets bigger and, and grows, that's where you become less and less consistent as it grows bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that is sometimes true. Um, although I think it's a, a bit of a misconception because there's plenty of companies that are huge that are very consistent. You walk into a Walmart or a Starbucks uh, or a Westin hotel in any city around the U.S., in many cases around the world, they smell the same, they look the same. In a Starbucks, you probably could close your eyes and know where you order and where you pick up your coffee. But don't you lose um, that consistency with the employees as, as you, really, because that's what the rideshare space is all about. You said you're not getting consistency from the different rideshare drivers you're, you're using. And wouldn't that be the same in, in those same businesses you just mentioned? Well, I mean, the, the reason that those brands that I just talked about are able to offer a consistent product at scale is because, is because they have control. And um, I believe, and, and, and my thesis was ultimately that the lack of consistency was driven by a lack of control. The fact that the marketplace model, just like an Airbnb is much less consistent than a hotel, the marketplace or buying something from eBay is much less consistent than buying it from Amazon is because uh, marketplaces lack control. They can't assert a standard. They can only use ratings and other systems of feedback to try to you know manage to a, a kind of a mean but they they can't tell people what to do they can't tell their their workers how to behave what kind of car to drive what you know to, whether they wear a uniform or not they can't train them um and and they can't really incent them to to, to exert the behaviors that that are required uh to to create consistency but but businesses that have employees, not independent contractors, that have brands that are built on control and consistency are able to achieve that even at very large scale. 
Um, and, and so ultimately the reason we chose the model we did, which is, which we haven't talked about, but this is very, very different from the lift. Our drivers, uh, every single one of our driver, we have almost 2000 of them across the U S now, every single one of them is a W2 employee of our company, meaning that they're not independent contractors that we pay them by the hour, not by the ride. And what we get for that is a level of control. We get to both select them to vet them, but then ultimately to train them and performance manage them to our standard. And if, if they're not meeting that standard, then they can no longer be an employee. Um, and, and, and we, that's, that's the advantage of, of having an employee is that you can direct their work. You can't do that for an independent contract because we, we are, our employees drive our cars, not their own cars. So we get to choose which car, uh, they drive for safety and for quality and for consistency. We get to maintain that car to keep it clean and, and safe and, uh, smelling good for each ride. Um, and, and, and by bringing both of those things together, a W2 employee and a company owned vehicle, we have a level of control over, over our product, the ride itself, um, that really no other company in the space does. My guest is Will Coleman. He's the CEO of the ride share company called Alto, different than companies like Uber and Lyft. It almost sounds, Will, like it is a limousine company. Because a limousine company or even a, the old-fashioned taxi cab companies, they have the cars, they provide them to the drivers, and then they the drivers have to wear the uniforms where they're driving, you know, where they have their little hats, you know, and their black suits, and they're driving you around in their little limos, right? Yeah, I mean, what we were trying to do with Alto is, is really bring the best of both, let's say, of, of more historical and um, traditional forms of mobility like black cars and taxi cabs by the way i mean it's important to note that 85 percent of taxi drivers in the u.s are independent contractors they're not employees the same is true for black car companies many of these yes they, they have different standards or maybe the car is branded but i'm sure you know you've seen pretty high dispersion of, of quality amongst even just a, a cab in the same city or or you know a, a limo Maybe it's a small fleet, but if they get too busy, they, they you know so outsource it to somebody else, and you don't know what you're going to get. Um, and so, yes, there there are many um, similarities to to those more traditional forms. We tried to take the best of them, and frankly, the best of these new forms. Um, what people, what we found was that people's behaviors have really changed. Con- convenience, um, you know, I mentioned convenience as something that as it increased consistency went down in, in Uber and Lyft, but what we, but we believe that convenience is incredibly important. You know, people's expectation today is that they can press a button and a car is there in a matter of minutes that they can, you know, pre-schedule or reschedule that they can in the same way, you know, that no longer is it sufficient to have a, a website deliver you something in a, in a couple of weeks or, or, or a couple of days, you want it the same day or the next day. Um, the bar has really changed for consumers' preferences around how they interact, and a lot of those companies hadn't figured out ways to catch up or to keep pace. Um, and so we, we're trying to do both, and, and, and that way we think it's actually quite innovative because nobody in the history of transportation really anywhere in the world has done both, has been able to bring the convenience and on-demand nature of, of, of a marketplace model with the consistency and quality of a, of a more traditional form of mobility. Uh, there has to be a reason for that though. There has to be some kind of a bigger reason that nobody else in the history <laughs> of transportation has decided to take this on except for you, Will. What's your it's magic hard. elixir? Well, I tell my team every day, if, you know, if it were easy, someone would have already done it. And if, and if, if somebody had already done it, it wouldn't be valuable. 
And so no doubt that, you know, what we're doing is, is very, very hard. And, and that's the reason that we're so excited about it, because we think that if we're successful, it's incredibly valuable. Um, and we, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, this is a, the complexity of trying to do what we do um, is, is probably easy to misunderstand on the surface, to, to balance supply and demand in a world where, uh, you can, as you can imagine, right, the number of ride requests that you get on a Friday night at 7 p.m. is dramatically different than the number that you get on a Wednesday at noon. Um, and, and so knowing how many drivers you need to hire and what shifts to give them and ensuring that you can pay them well, but you don't spend too much money having too much supply, all of these, these uh, like very complex um, problems, operational problems, technology problems um, are, 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 are things that, you know, um, take <laughs> that we're having to take kind of new approaches to. Um, but we ultimately believe that this is also where the value is going. We're trying to skate towards the puck. You know, we believe that the next form of disruption in the space is going to be first in a transition to EV, uh, electric vehicles. And uh, we've committed to, to make that transition next year in 2023. We now believe that the fleets are ready and that we're able to bring the data and the, and the infrastructure to bear to make that happen. And then ultimately autonomous. I mean, the reality is, is that we're all working you know many companies are working spending billions of dollars to make cars drive themselves but uh you need the underlying infrastructure to, to bring those to market to uh they're going to be expensive assets to, to manage them and, and to run them you need places to store and clean and charge and maintain them just the way we do our freely and so uh, we're really trying to build not only a better product for today uh, but also a better solution for these long-term disruptions and I want to explore more of the EV stuff and the autonomous stuff coming up in just a little bit as my guest is Will Coleman, the CEO of the rideshare company Alto, now based in Dallas, but also in other cities. We're going to talk about specific differences between Alto, Uber, Lyft from a driver's perspective coming up in just a little bit. But first, I want to take a rider, a user through the experience of using Alto. So what do they notice? What is their experience like as a user compared to a traditional Uber Lyft? Yeah, for, I mean, I think the first thing you're going to notice is that um, the onboarding experience is very similar. You're going to go to our website, ridealto.com slash download or directly to the Google Play or App Store and search Alto, download our app. So everything that you do through, you know, um, our, our process is going to be based on our app. Uh, you're going to create an account. The first thing that you're going to notice that's different is that um, all Alto users, consumers, are members. We have a membership-based model, and our, our members uh, pay an, a monthly or annual fee, 12 bucks a month or $99 a year, in order to be members of Alto. What being a member of Alto means is that you have access to our service. Uh, the reason we have that, that membership model is because it helps us grow, solve many of those supply-demand challenges. When we it sets a higher bar, you know, so not just anybody's going to pay 12 bucks a month to, to be a member of Alto. But if you're a heavy user, if you, if you, um, if you, if you ride share, you know, a couple times a month, um, then you're going to see the value in that. And so we can attract a, a customer that's better for us. And, and therefore we can invest in the infrastructure to support that customer. Once you're onboarded, you're going to notice that our app is very clean and simple. We take away all of the things that um, and many other apps kind of create 
distraction or anxiety. There's no cars crawling around the screen. There's no, uh, you know, there's not food and, and, and drinks and, and rides. There's just where are you going, where are you going and where are you coming from? Uh, you, you put that in and then we're going to tell you we'll be there in 10 to 15 minutes. And our, that's, that's probably the next big difference you're going to notice is that our average wait time is about 11 minutes versus our competitors who are sometimes sub five. Um, and there's a reason for that as well, which is that, um, if we always say, if, if you can get an ambulance faster than you can get an, uh, or if you can get an Uber faster than you can get an ambulance in the city that you're in, that's, that's really bad for your city. It means that there's too many cars on the road. It's creating too much congestion, too much emissions and, and bad impacts on the city that you're in. So waiting just a bit longer allows us to have fewer vehicles to serve the same amount of, of geospatial area within a city and create less bad impacts on, on the city itself. And we think that you probably know where you're going 10 minutes ahead of time. Most of the time you go places. Um, and, but then you're really going to start to notice the differences when the car arrives. You're going to notice that your driver is uniformed. You're going to notice that it's uh, the same car, the first ride and the second ride and the third ride. It's going to be a midsize uh, six-passenger SUV with captain's chairs. It's going to be easy to get in and out. It's going to be branded. You're going to recognize the car because it's going to have our logo across it. It's going to be easy to identify because you can press a button and lights will light up in the front. And when you get in, you're going to notice that it smells great. It actually has a custom-designed scent because we know that smell is a big part of the place that you're in. So just like you would walk into a hotel and it always smells the same, you're going to get into an Alto. It's always going to smell the same. It's going to be incredibly clean. Um, and, and then you're going to set the vibe uh, in our cars because we control the fleet and because our technology integrates directly into them. Uh, you can control your music. You can control your volume. You can control the lights. You can even put the driver on Do Not Disturb. You can do all of that directly from your app, and it's going to take effect in your car. When you're in an Alto, we want you to feel like you're in your Alto, not someone else's car. And so you really are in control of that experience. You're not asking somebody to change the radio station or plug in your phone. There's going to be chargers, Wi-Fi. Um, and 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 we, we hope that ultimately that experience is going to just is going to lead you to feel at, at ease, um, not anxious about your safety or about who this driver is or about where you're going, but just an ability to, to kind of escape, to use that time to work or to relax and to make the journey um, as important as the destination to, you know, if you're going out to on a date or just home from work, uh, that, you know, those minutes are actually precious minutes of your life and that, that, that you should be uh, pampered in them and, and, and really get to uh, use them in, in the way, in whichever way you like. Uh, are there different levels of cars available, levels of service? We are comfortable hearing about the uh, at Uber XL and Uber this thing and Uber that thing. Are, are there different levels of Alto as well? There's not. There's just one product. You always know that's what you're going to get. Um, it's a midsize SUV, so it seats um, five five passengers, but it's super comfortable with one. It's com you know it's convenient if you're picking up another couple to go out at night or taking your family to the airport. There's enough luggage space, so we take all the guesswork out of it. Again, that consistency of we want something that serves you the vast majority of your needs, and we want it to work, you know, and and that and it to feel. Uh, that it works for, for all of those those uh, reasons. And so we don't want you to have to make a lot of those choices or have the angst of what, you know, if I pick this car or that car, what's coming? You just always know the exact, the exact product you're going to get. Are the prices then 
comparable to the other ride shares? There, uh, our pricing kind of mirrors actually a, like an XL uh, level of pricing. So it's a bit more expensive than the, um, you know, the cheapest options on the road, but it's uh, a 50% discount to a black car service. Um, and, you know, we think that for the value that that creates, uh, most of our customers experience a ride price that's a couple of dollars more, um, you know, for their average ride. And, um, and that that is returned to them, you know, in, in spades in terms of the value they're receiving for the product they're buying. And right now I live in Denver. And so you're not in Denver right now. So as a user, it doesn't make sense for me to sign up for a membership. So let's say I am That's flying right. to Dallas and I need to have a, a ride share that would take me from the airport to uh, the Cowboys game. And not that I like the Cowboys because I don't, uh, but, <laughs> but <let's laughs> that's, uh, that's a good news. That's good okay. for you because it's a painful experience. To like the Cowboys. <laughs> okay. So Broncos let's say fans are, are a much better position. Exactly. So, <laughs> so let's say we wanted to do that fictionally, uh, but could I then just show up and, and download your app and then be able to hail one of your cars or would I have to uh, have you as a, as a, as a member? I mean, is there, is there any way to use you on a per use basis? Um, so, you, well, first you get two weeks free, uh, as a member. So you, you can always, we, we, we allow you to kind of try the service and experience this difference that I'm talking about so that you can be convinced of your own, that it's uh, worth it. So for anybody that's, you know, coming into a new city, um, they can always sign up and, and, you know, we don't even charge them. You can take the ride and, and use it for a couple of weeks. And then the membership is monthly. So if you're in a city where you're going to be for a couple of days and you take you know, three or four rides, even in that short period of time, uh, we find that the membership kind of pays for itself in its first two, in your first two rides a month, um, because you're getting again that kind of black quality, maybe even better than black quality at half the price. Um, and so uh, that's that's how we think about you know even trial. You can it's super. You can sign up and then the next day cancel. You'll keep it for the rest of the month and and. You'll be out twelve bucks, but you're going to save that in spades, or save that and more against uh, what you would have spent if you were, you know, calling a black car service to get the same quality. My guest is the CEO of the rideshare company Alto, Will Coleman, and we're talking about what the rider experience is like in their cars. Do you have cameras inside the car or other safety features that other rideshares don't? Yeah, in addition to the fact that our drivers are employees and um, and they're that they're selected and trained, background checked, drug tested, uh, we we encompass the entire uh, vehicle with with a lot of safety features. Uh, I mean, the car itself is extremely safe. All of our midsize SUVs or Buicks or Volkswagens—they're all five-star crash-rated from front, rear, inside. Um, and and then we install technology in them, uh, both interior and exterior facing video that's securely monitored in the cloud, as well as uh, a set of basically devices that allow us to track speed and position, G forces, um, and and all the telematics off the vehicle. We use all of that information to score our drivers for their safe driving behavior. So every driver every day gets a score on how safely they're driving that vehicle whether you know, it uses facial detection from the camera to understand if they're distracted. It uses the telematics from the box to know how fast they're going, how, many, how quickly they take turns. Um, and we use that to performance manage and, and uh, coach our drivers to ensure that they're constantly improving at driving safely because ultimately we know that 
driving and riding is an inherently unsafe activity. If you don't smoke cigarettes, it's definitely the least safe thing you're going to do in any given day. Um, but the cameras are also there, I mean, to protect our drivers and to protect our passengers. Uh, we can use that to, you know, investigate incidents, to understand what's happening in the car, and to follow up and, and take appropriate action if, um, if we see something that, that shouldn't be happening. All right, so we've already made it to the uh, to the Cowboys game. We we watched them lose, and now we're ready to leave, <laughs> leave right? <laughs> and we, we have a lot of subscribers who are uh, with Alto, and we all want to leave at the same time because, you know, the, the, the team is, you know, awful, and so we just want to get out of there, right? So at busy times, how do you handle a, a big group where they're all leaving, let's say, Cowboys Stadium at, after at one time or all in a downtown Dallas at, all at one time? How do you handle that surge? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big reason, again, that we just don't let anybody come in and and uh, and ride without being a member. Because, again, we're, we're putting up that blocker, in fact, to, to help protect ourselves from that one person that, um, that, that lands at DFW and isn't willing to pay our $12 um, and, uh, and just wants to ride to the Cowboys game. That creates a, a, a much bigger surge. This is actually one of the most difficult things in the industry is, is these points of surge. And, it, and there, there's a lot of infrequent users that only use the product in the times when everyone else is using them. And our membership model protects us from those users that you know just want to use it once right after that Cowboys game or that Broncos game. Um, and, and so it protects us to a certain extent to ensure that we're building the supply in our fleet and vehicles and drivers to match the demands that we expect to get from our membership base. Uh, that said, we those those surges are definitely still the most hard part of the business. And we use things like uh, positioning. I mean, we, we know how many people we dropped off at the, at the Cowboys game. And uh, again, the drivers are employees, the cars are ours. We, our software counts all that up and and tells the drivers where they need to be based on our anticipation of where that next demand instance is going to be and we don't have to use things like gamification and surge pricing and uh incentives that our competitors use because they can't tell a driver go to dfw airport right now because that's where the best place to go is they have to tell them hey we really suggest you go to dfw airport right now we can say right now go to dfw airport don't go anywhere else you know um and and so i think that's um that, that's the advantage we have that helps us manage those those periods of, of high demand. Um, and and uh, and then I think the last thing we're able to do is is similarly like our our competitors, we're able to use some dynamicism in our pricing that helps us move demand because ultimately what we see is that uh, people are responsive to just a couple dollars price change. And they, they, they take uh, not necessarily alternatives in the form of other transportation, but um, maybe if you're at that Cowboys game and you see the prices a little bit higher, you're willing to actually just stick around and, and you know, you might be willing to stick around and, and watch the Cowboys continue to lose uh, <laughs> while somebody else is willing to pay 20 bucks to get out of there right now. And, and you know, we can serve that person first. And then 20 minutes later, we've got enough capacity for you. Basically bought you, bought you a beer along the way. <laughs> I like, I like your thinking, Will. <laughs> Let's transition from the writer experience to the, uh, or yeah, from that user experience to the driver 
experience because you were mentioning when we were talking about the cameras in there. I'm sure the driver feels safer having some of those systems in place as well. How do you choose the drivers? What are some of those stringent requirements that you have to be an Alto driver? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our value proposition to the driver really, you know, we use three words and, and it's the same three words we used and talked about for our, our consumers. It's about safety. It's about consistency. It's about quality. Um, and so we're trying to offer an experience to them that, that meets those high bars and their expectation. You know, first, I would say most of our drivers first choose us. They come to us. They apply for to work at Alto because they see that we offer something different that, that they're looking for. One of those three things, safety, consistency of earnings, and, and knowing that they're going to make a certain amount of money based on the number of hours they work, not based on some algorithm that's going to determine how many rides they get. In particular, in a, in a market like we're in today with inflation where it is and, and fuel costs, um, you know, it's difficult to be a driver and not know if you're going to make one week $500 and the next week $1,000. How are you going to pay for your expenses, your rent, your food, your family? Uh, so that consistency is super important to the drivers. Um, and then the quality. We want to offer them benefits. So we have company-sponsored healthcare, vision, and dental um, workers' compensation, so that if you're in an accident or, or you're injured, uh, you don't lose your income overnight and, and have to figure something else out. Um, and so uh, the first is, you know, those benefits attract a certain a certain type of driver for us, one that probably cares a little bit more about, um, you know, a little bit less risk tolerant, a little more risk adverse, um, somebody that, you know, isn't trying to absolutely maximize, you know, Every day, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work 14 hours or as many hours as it takes to get to a certain dollar, but I want to I wanna have something that I know I can plan for. Uh, and then what we're looking for is, is great customer service uh, skills. Ultimately, you know, driving is extremely hard. I tell our drivers all the time that many people very much underestimate how hard it is of a job to safely drive a vehicle for six, eight, ten hours a day to pick up and drop off passengers and busy traffic. Sometimes at night after people have been drinking and aren't exactly the you know nicest or kindest to you as a driver, it's a really tough job. Um, and so we need great customer service agents, people that can live and breathe the Alto brand, that can de-escalate situations, that can that can be safe and, and focused even in, in kind of stressful situations. Um, and we we use interview techniques. We use a uh, uh, a personality index, a, a, a test, basically, that helps us identify people that bring those traits to the table. Um, and, and we find that that trade-off is really successful. We're able to find tons of people that are qualified and excited. And, and, we, and, and we're also you know, constantly getting a, a, big, a big applicant pool of folks that are, that are excited to, to come work for us. And, and it looks like you folks, uh, your folks have uniforms on, or at least so they can all look, again, consistent, but it's not going to be the old black suit and the black pants and the fedora and the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're trying to kind of, again, bring it. Uh, it's, we're not trying to be a, a black car service. We're trying to be what we think of as an accessible luxury Again, the price point, the the um, the experience is meant to be something that you can justify for an everyday experience, not just that one special night out or a business trip. Um, and so it, it's it's also just a little more casual. Um, I mean, it can it can rise to the occasion for sure, um, but it's it's not a it's not a black car with a with a you know 
men in black uniform. It's a it's a white car, in fact, uh, with with a with a uniformed professional safe driver who's in um, you know black slacks and a black polo shirt and yeah. in the winter uh, there in Denver for sure would be right. a, in a you know a, a, a fleece jacket. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And some days you might need, you know, the whole blizzard outfit, something like that. <laughs> well, they're going to be in the car. The, the great news is that they're going to be in the car most of the day where it's protected and, right. and air conditioned and we're paying for the gas. So you're never going to get in one where it's like, well, I don't want to use the heat or I don't want to use the air conditioning because, you know, it's, it's expensive to run. Um, and <laughs> so uh, the climate that we're able to give them for the vast majority of their shift is, is quite comfortable. And there are people who know how to drive in snow and other people who completely don't. So that that should also be part of your interview question process. How good Those are people you? are very hard to find here in Dallas, but I'm yeah. sure we can find them there. Uh, well, you know, one of the problems with the Uber Lyft drivers is that you know, they're responsible for their own cars and their insurance and their gas and their maintenance and on the cleanliness, you know, if they even do that with, and all the rest of that stuff, your drivers, then they handle all those things. So they almost become what, uh, a, a, almost a co-owner of the vehicle. Do they keep driving the same vehicle? And, and so they keep it up because whenever you own something, you always take care of it better than if you don't. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of the reason that the type of person we're looking for is really important. Uh, they don't own the vehicle. They, they drive a different one every single day. But remember, every single one is basically the same. So it becomes pretty familiar for them as well. They know the size, the you know the knobs and the dials and know how to work it. Um, uh, I often, some drivers have often come to me and said, well, Will, you know, everything that, that Alto does, I already do. You know, and uh, I tell them that's because you're a great driver. <laughs> um, and 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 the reality is, is that we believe you're not as good as your best ride. You're as good as your worst ride. And our competitors in that case means that that you're not you're not judged as a driver and our competitor. You're not judged based on what you're doing. You're judged on based, you know, the brand and, and the experience and people's perception is based not on on what the best driver is doing. It's based on what their worst experience has been. Um, and, and, and that's again, kind of the difference in, in how we're thinking about it is that at Alto, every driver is the same. They're trained to the same standard. They follow the same procedure. They have that same degree of, of customer service, um, attitude and, and, and focus. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you're never going to get in the car and say, well, I wish I had Larry because, um, <laughs> You know, because Larry was so much better. It's like, well, no, Larry was great, but Tanya is also fantastic. And and in fact, like, if if I didn't know Larry and Tanya, I would think they're they're you know they're kind of they're giving me the exact same consistent experience. And they put their personal touch on it. And Tanya's got a bright smile, and Larry's kind of got a you know a more smirk that is is friendly. But it, it, you know, you know, the the point is, is that it's 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 about the core aspects of the experience that everyone is able to deliver. Uh, and we think that that's really what customers are looking for. So you're really not looking for one driver to be a comedian and one driver to be just a uh, grouch and one driver just to be super smiley and singing all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that requires a l really high degree of EQ, you know, emotional yeah. intelligence to read your passenger, to know, hey, this is somebody that really wants to engage and that, I, you know, I should talk a lot versus and that will make them feel comfortable versus this passenger's got their laptop out and is, you know, grinding away on some email and I'm just going to kind of sit up here and make sure they get there safely. And and that's also that's why the customer service um, kind of focus of our hiring is so important is because knowing 
that and knowing how to engage different people is ultimately what drives you know somebody's perception of of the experience is did it meet their needs in that instant and those needs change and, and they're not always like as easy as just writing them in a piece of paper right your mood changes even you know, maybe between the time you called the car and got into it, or you got a phone call that you were expecting or whatever. And so, um, yeah, customer service is really the name of the game. And that's, that's what we, that's what we train for and, and really focus on with our driver base. My guest is Will Coleman. He's the CEO of the rideshare company Alto. And we'll talk in just a minute about some other challenges that they're facing, especially as it's growing, uh, growing company. I want to finish a couple of questions about the drivers because many drivers right now, especially with the traditional rideshare companies, they are worried so much about gas prices and how much it's eating away at, at how much they can earn and the high cost now of maintenance and how much they can earn. So they aren't earning as much as they typically did in the past how much can a typical auto driver earn can they work full-time part-time how much work can they do if they if they want to work a lot or want to work a little yeah what we've really tried to do is is create a similar level of flexibility for our people it's obviously not exactly the same in an employment model we 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 use shifts and um, once you've signed up for a shift we expect you to show up for it so it's it's not as you know, uh, simple as uh, in our competitors, you can just wake up one day and decide, well, today I don't really want to work or I don't feel well, or I think I'll work a little bit extra. Um, you know, there is a little bit more structure, but we have drivers about, uh, 40% of our drivers work full-time 40 or more hours per week, about 60% of our drivers work part-time 30 or fewer hours per week. Um, and they and 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 we try to create a, a set of shifts and availability for people to to meet you know their specific needs. If you want to just drive on the weekends or just at night or just in the morning, um, and you know work that as a second income or because you're going to school or you know when when your kids are at school, um, we have we have shifts and schedules and and we allow in particular our part time people to um, be very flexible in what they pick up and what they don't. And, and so week to week, they can try to change. This is, you know, these are the shifts that I want. These, um, you know, this week I can do this. And, and they get to actually, in many cases, select that directly based on their own availability at that given time. Um, uh, but a lot of our drivers, again, work full time. This is their, this is their primary source of income. And many of them even work, um, you know, 50, 60 hours a week across, you know, seven days. Uh, and earn you know significant overtime for doing so, which is another benefit of an employment model that you don't get with Uber or Lyft. You work 100 hours at Uber, and and you know you're not you're not getting kind of the traditional benefits of that. Um, in fact, the more hours you work in in a marketplace model, typically the less you earn per hour because you're working less and less desirable hours. There's only so many peak hours in a week that you can earn in the rideshare space. And so if you work a ton of hours, you're, you're more likely to earn less and less per hour, not more and more. Um, I, you know, it depends on the market. So it's very variable across the country in terms of what we pay, um, you know, per hour. And, and we also have different pay rates for, for different tenures and different, uh, different shifts. But on average, um, most of our drivers earn $850 to $1,000 a week. Uh, and we think that is incredibly competitive in this space and across the retail and customer service space. They also, again, have company-sponsored healthcare benefits, social security, workers' compensation, a 401k plan. 
so, you know, it comes with a ton of other upside uh, in addition to just uh, what you can earn on an hourly basis. Yeah. Uh, I know that you are expanding the service because right now you were starting only in Dallas and then you've now expanded to places like Houston and Los Angeles and Miami and some others. But there also has to be some challenges with operating in different states, right? You probably can't pick two more different states to operate in than Texas and California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. That's true for sure. Um, the, the you know, like any business that's growing and building, you know, a, a product that serves um, a consumer across the U.S. or maybe even someday around the world, uh, there's lots of lots of scale, complexity to scaling um, that is way too nitty gritty to get in on, on, on this, on this podcast for sure. But, um, what we're, what I think the advantage we have is that, uh, actually our, our, our predecessors in many ways, Uber and Lyft have spent a lot of time and a lot of money, um, actually making the laws much more consistent state to state. The regulations are much cleaner now and, and more transparent than they ever were before. And traditionally, transportation was actually regulated at a municipality level. So Denver may have a different set of regulations than Colorado Springs or than maybe even a Denver suburb like, I don't know, Little Ever, Evergreen. <laughs> a little yeah. bit Evergreen, yeah, sure. Uh, and, um, and, and, and that is really, really complex. And now uh, every state, with the exception of maybe New York City and Las Vegas and one other place, Every state kind of controls uh, the regulations for our industry. So there's only 50 of them, not 5,000 of them. And, um, and that certainly made our path a lot easier. We're also, you know, I would say doing things that we think are not only the right way, but the good way to do them. And so in many cases, regulators, you know, uh, see us as a very friendly uh, entrant, somebody that's trying, you know, to, to, to follow the rules and, uh, use, you know, tradition, you know, <laughs> less, um, uh, let's call it, uh, aggressive tactics. Um, and so many, many states have kind of welcomed us with open arms, which we've been really excited about. Whenever a business becomes successful and you start expanding, there's always going to be somebody as you are plowing the way through the snow, trailing behind you, taking that clearer path. <laughs> are you concerned about as you expand and as you grow, somebody coming behind you and trying to do the exact same thing? No doubt. I mean, uh, look, I think it would be disingenuous to say we're not doing that, you know, um, uh, in this space. I mean, based on what I just said, right, we, we had the advantage of, of time and perspective and an understanding of, of challenges, but also opportunities, uh, of, of some drafting. And, and we used that to, to make a, a slight, you know, some tweaks and, and some innovation on a business model that we felt made a better product. Um, and, and that will, uh, that's the nature of business. That's what's great about, um, you know, <laughs> uh, free enterprise. And, and, uh, that's what keeps consumers, you know, in a great place because there's always innovation and better products being created, but it also is what keeps businesses healthy because there's always competition around the corner. And, and so, um, we already see that actually in several markets, people, you know, kind of drafting, using very similar language, very similar tactics, uh, very similar models. Um, and we expect that and, and we think it just continues to make us stronger and better. And, and frankly, you know, we're flattered by it because I think, I think it, it, it does show that, um, we're onto something and, and, uh, and, 
um, we feel like we're going to, you know, can mm-hmm. compete to win. Yeah, we were talking earlier, and I was also reading on, on your website that you could see at RideAlto.com. I read that you were going all electric. How do you think you were going to be able to do that with the limited range of the vehicles that are in production right now and the long charging times you need to uh, use to charge up an EV? How, how can you balance having enough cars on the road, enough drivers yeah. to drive them, and enough range to take people where they need to go all day long? Well, this is a really uh, important part of the model that we're building and the infrastructure that we're investing in. And by infrastructure, I mean literally real estate uh, and chargers uh, primarily, right? Um, we we have depots in every one of our cities where our cars come, uh, our drivers pick up the vehicle and then drop it back off. They then either take public transit or their own car to go home. So we see the cars multiple times per day in our in our centralized facility. It's where we do maintenance, it's where we do cleaning, it's where we store them. Um, and we're investing in the infrastructure, frankly, the, the DC fast chargers that will support that transition. And because of the fact that we can bring that infrastructure and the fleet together at the same time, it's incredibly powerful uh, business plan and, and frankly, investment case, because the biggest challenge with EV transition today is that there aren't enough chargers. And, and the reason there aren't enough chargers is because there aren't enough EVs. Because if you invest in a, if you're a business and you put a DC fast charger in your parking lot, it's going to take a really long time to pay for that back because it's expensive and, and utilization is low. But I can install that DC fast charger and then also bring the fleet to bear at that facility to make the utilization on that asset work for a, a traditional business case. I can get a bank loan on that, um, which is pretty cheap cost of capital. And so, um, uh, you know, we're able to bring both of those to bear at the same time, which allows us to move extremely quickly. It's why we, as soon as we start taking delivery of, of EVs next year, uh, you know, our, our leases are actually quite short term on our vehicles anyway, 18 months traditionally, but we can rotate them even faster. We can, we can effectively transition our entire fleet in, in just over a year. That's pretty interesting. And it's, uh, I guess, also what most re- revolutionary too in this, in this space. Yeah, we think, I mean, there, there aren't many um, kind of at scale passenger fleets in the U.S. today. Uh, there's lots of delivery fleets like FedEx and UPS and USPS. And there's a lot of people focused on fleet charging in those spaces, but we do believe that that you know, uh, passenger fleets are going to need the same level of investment, and that we bring together, we bring you know a, a, a use case and a model that is very supportive of that transition, and is going to enable us to move very quickly, and then also, frankly, build a business around it because we can use these facilities to serve other fleets uh, that may be complementary to our own. My guest is Will Coleman, the CEO of the Rideshare Company, Alto. In just the last few minutes that we have, is Rideshare the future of urban mobility? Do you think it's going to be ever feasible for really mobility in the uh, ultra-suburban areas or rural areas or just in the urban areas where it's more densely packed? It's really hard to make it work uh, without density because uh, you need asset utilization and and in a model where somebody ultimately has to pay for that car and pay for the person's time to drive it um whether that's our company and our model or it's the driver themselves kind of subsidizing that in in another marketplace model um the less dense of an area you're in, the more challenging the business becomes. It's why you, you'll see, you know, our, our growth plan has been focused on major cities and will continue to be focused on big cities because it's 
it's quite frankly the easiest place to make the profit equation work, which is an important part of building our company. Um, there will be advancements like like autonomy and and uh, reductions in cost through EV transition and, and many other things, but um, uh, I think you know suburban and rural areas will uh, will most likely uh, have to rely on some other you know forms of, of transportation um, for the foreseeable future. Interesting. You've also said back in January 2020, I think it was in the Dallas Morning News I was reading, that you wanted to operate in 15 large cities in three to four years from then. Well, we're already about halfway through that time frame. Is that still your goal? Are you looking to expand, continual into uh, more big cities? What about Denver? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I have the advantage of saying that there was a, uh, a an unannounced pandemic uh, that happened shortly after that com- that 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 um, that comment. Uh, it's definitely still our plan. Um, you know, the COVID COVID definitely uh, set us back a little bit. It was it was super impactful to our business, as you can imagine, um, and and so uh, forced us to pivot and to and to change plans. But we're back on a, a really strong growth path. We grew 700% last year. We're planning to grow 400% this year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're, we're, we entered three new markets in the last uh, six or seven months. We're now in, as you mentioned, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. And we're hoping to be in another three markets later this year into early next. And I think by, um, by 2020. Four will we'll kind of have reached our goal of uh, 15 major metropolitan areas, maybe just a, a couple, a year or so later than my initial plan. Well, hey, better, better uh, late than never, right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation, Will. Uh, it's really interesting to see how your business is different than uh, the traditional ride shares because it looks like ride share is here to stay. And, and a lot of folks I know in the in, in urban, tight urban areas, they, they want nothing but ride shares or scooters or people walking or bikes in, let's say, a, 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 the downtown core of, of many cities and, and want to keep all the cars out. So you're in an interesting uh, space, especially as we move forward over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a great conversation and really, um, really fun to talk about it. Oh, that was a great conversation. I thought it was really interesting. Again, the website for Alto is rideAlto.com. And right now, as we were talking about, they're only in Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, or San Francinktown, as my daughters say, uh, Miami and Washington, D.C., but coming to a city maybe near you eventually. Um, as I think of it, those are all warm weather cities. Uh, maybe not D.C. I guess they do get their share of uh, some winter weather, but no Chicago yet, no Denver, Philadelphia, Boston. Um, maybe they're uh, going to look to expand in Atlanta, Nashville, um, Orlando, I don't know, some of the warmer, it seems like they're sticking right now to some of the warmer cities. Uh, I've had interesting rides in Ubers and Lyfts. Uh, the last one I took was to drop me off or take me from my house to go get my car when I was getting serviced. And it was just an interesting ride, but as Will was saying, you never know what you're going to get when you get in one of the Ubers or Lyfts. Um, I, and I'm still debating what we're going to do when we, as a family, fly to Chicago for the uh, National Baton Twirling Championships for the NBTA. 
in uh, South Bend, so we're gonna go stay at the near the airport that first night, and so we're gonna take a short Uber, Lyft, cab ride, something. I'll figure that out um, soon enough, I guess, because there's no um, Alto in Chicago, so we can't use that service. So we'll see how that goes. It's really a crapshoot what driver you're gonna get when you call uh, call for one on on either of those apps. So I do like the consistency. And it, it, it probably will be a successful platform for Will. And, and I don't use Rideshare enough to really justify a subscription, but there's many of you who will. And, well, it's, it's an option for you, I guess. Well, anyway, thanks, for, uh, thanks to Will for spending all that time with me. And thanks to you for being with me for 250 episodes. It's really, uh, it's really been a nice ride. Anyway, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of the show or that listener hotline at 303-832. What is my phone number again? <laughs> 303-832-0217. Thanks again uh, for being here. So until episode 251, thanks for listening. I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.